Well, good afternoon there, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5, KPL 232-1542. If you want to call in, you can also check in via the KPL app chat. If you are listening through the app or you just have the app and you want to communicate with the show, uh, in fact, let me go ahead and pull that up right now so I can see those messages as they come in. Glad to be with y'all. It is Friday. Very excited for the weekend. Uh, I'm excited about a lot of the football matchups coming up this weekend. We'll get to that in the second part of the show. I want you guys to call in. Tell me what you're looking forward to this weekend as far as NCAA football uh, or even NFL football is concerned. The Saints have released their injury report, and there is a lot on there. In fact, let me see if we have this up at KPL965. If not, we will shortly. But uh, the the injury report for the Saints is pretty lengthy. But before we get to football, let's let's go through the serious stuff. And uh, I tease this if you got the alert on the KPL app. I tease if you saw the 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 show notes post on Facebook. Teased it there. Uh, let's talk about the immigrant busing issue. Let's talk about the Martha Vineyard's issue, the Martha's Vineyard issue. Let's let's go through this. And and let me start out by saying, as I teased in those uh, posts, I'm not a fan of the immigrant busing issue. Let me let me tell you why. I understand that some folks are probably going to disagree with with me on this, but let me lay it out. The Biden administration has failed in the immigration issue. And the states have to do something because border towns are getting overwhelmed. And I appreciate exploiting the hypocrisy of progressive-run so-called sanctuary cities and how a few thousand immigrants there are throwing the system into chaos while they are completely ignoring the fact that the border towns are overwhelmed. And the Martha's Vineyard issue, I think, was probably the biggest, uh, got the biggest reaction out of progressives because that's their enclave. That's their little East Coast upper class enclave, Martha's Vineyard. And Ron DeSantis had 50 illegal immigrants shipped there. And what's being missed by the media is that prior to that, the Biden administration had flown dozens of planes worth of immigrants into Florida. So this is not happening in a vacuum. This isn't Republican governors doing something just in a vacuum. However, we have an immigration crisis, but caught in this crossfire are the illegal immigrants. And it really is not fair to them to be shuffled back and forth between states in what is at least in part, and you have to acknowledge this, at least in part, a political ploy. There is a specific reason that you send them to Washington, D.C., or you send them to New York City, or you send them just outside Kamala Harris's house, or you send them to Martha's Vineyard. There is a strategic reason. It raises awareness for the issue that is inherently political. And these people who are, many of whom are just desperately trying to escape a very crappy situation back home. Who have basically been told by our government, yeah, borders open. They're being caught in the political crossfire here. Now, it is very foolish for people like MSNBC's Chris Hayes to say that this is, in essence, human trafficking. That is stupid. That is political hackery at its worst. 
There should be better options. There are no better options. There are no good options here. So all we have are these high-profile busings. And this is going into what I fear is a larger problem in political discourse today, which is the politics of trolling the other side. Where our politics are dictated by what's going to trigger the other side more. I'm not a fan of it. Frankly, you won't convince me that it's a 100% good idea. I will acknowledge that exposing the hypocrisy of these progressives is in itself a good thing. But overall, there's nothing really good that comes out of this. Among other issues, what happens if some of these migrants being bust go are sent to these major progressive urban areas and then commit acts of terror or whatever because they are unverified, undocumented immigrants? Yeah, we don't want that to happen in our border towns, but in these smaller border towns, you're less likely for there to be a major terror attack than in one of these cities that one of these dangerous people could be trying to get to. There are safety, there are security concerns with all that as well. There are loads of issues with just up and shipping people across the country. And yes, the Biden administration is doing that. And yes, the big problem here is that the Biden administration is getting angry about this, despite the fact that they have been doing it to Florida. They've allowed Texas to be overrun. And there's nothing else the states can do. I saw uh, on social media several people the other day. Why don't these states just start to do something to secure the border? Why are they demanding the federal government do it? I don't know if you guys remember this because it was a long time ago. It was before the 2016 election, which seems to be where most reporters' memories seem to stop. But back during the Obama years, Arizona passed laws to strengthen the border, and the Obama administration sued them and won in court over the supremacy clause. The states can't do anything about this crisis. And all of this focus right now is on Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott and uh, Arizona and all of this shipping, all sending these folks elsewhere. And it's a distraction from what's actually happening at the border. Yes, it all goes back to remind us what's happening there. But keep in mind that all of these states along our southern border are overwhelmed. I highly recommend if you're on Twitter, look up Fox News, uh, Fox News's Bill Melugin, M-E-L-U-G-I-N. He has been since he was a local Fox affiliate reporter and reporter in California. He has been reporting on the issues of the border. He is embedded with Border Patrol right now in Texas, and he is posting clip after clip, photo after photo, video after video of large groups of migrants coming in bypassing security checkpoints and watching as border patrol struggles to round people up because they are simply overwhelmed. Biden goes out and screeches in some public statement that there is a process for this in these states. These governors need to let the process work. The process hasn't worked since he's gotten into office. And I feel for the vast majority of those immigrants who are truly trying to escape a bad situation in their country and are trying to come to somewhere, yes, a far superior country, but a country that, because of the Biden administration's policies, 
has left an over border has left an open border that is now being overrun. This is a problem. The politics of trolling are distracting from the actual issues here. We need a border policy. I would rather see right now the states currently do what Arizona did back in the early two thousand or the early to mid two thousands. When Obama was in charge and Arizona tried to tighten the border, I would rather the federal government sue Texas and Arizona and Florida and all these other states when these states try to enact harsher immigration policies because the federal government won't do it. I want the Biden administration on the record fighting against opening the border. That's what I would rather see versus high profile busing of immigrants. That doesn't really do anything to help any problem. It just makes people on the other side mad. And I understand if it's something that you disagree with. And I understand if you want to leave a mean comment on the KPL app chat or on Facebook, or you want to call in and tell me why I'm wrong, that's fine. But this isn't a real solution. These are just high profile trolling attempts of progressive cities and democratic politicians. And we have an actual crisis that needs to be solved. Okay, y'all, rant over. Let's go ahead and take a break. Unfortunately, there's another rant coming up, and that was probably also going to make y'all a little bit mad at me, but we have to discuss this issue. And then we'll spend the rest of the show talking about football because everybody loves football, and even if you don't, we can have some friendly rivalry fun here. 232-1542, if you want to call in be part of the program, we'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to call in, be part of the conversation. Uh, David reaches out through the app. There's a lot of big mansions over at Martha's Vineyard. They could probably keep families and all the extra bedrooms, including the Obamas. Absolutely correct. In fact, there's a reporter on social media who had joined a bunch of community groups from uh, of neighborhoods in Martha's Vineyard. And there's a bunch of people now sniping at each other because they're not doing enough for the immigrants. Which is objectively funny when the progressives are sniping at each other for not being progressive enough. But I digress. Let's go back to the phone lines now. We've got John joining us. John, how are you today? Hey, doing well, Joe. Thank you for taking the call. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, may, I may have missed it earlier. I guess Shannon uh, alluded to it. You had covered it already. But what's the other option, man? I mean, if we don't get these, spread them out and uh, spread the wealth with air quotes, if you will, what do we, I mean, what's our plan B? Well, so uh, the the plan it's like what I mentioned earlier is the fact there's there's really no good idea here, and and I have sure. I have uh, security issues, national security issues among others of just taking people who are unregistered coming into the country and just shipping them everywhere sure. else. Sure. But uh, why not? But why not? Why not put them on? I mean, okay, so put them on buses and send them back to Mexico. Send them back across the border. That would be a fantastic that a, that idea. A viable option. That that sure. it should be. Uh, the the problem here is, and I'm, I mentioned this earlier. I'm not sure if you caught this part, but during the yeah. Obama administration, Arizona passed yeah. laws to strengthen the border, mm. and the right. Obama administration sued and won at the Supreme Court, basically over the supremacy clause, the idea that federal laws trump state laws. And so Arizona's laws could not override what the U.S. laws, the U.S. policies regarding immigration and the border security were. And so what I want to see right now 
if we're going to be political about this, let's get the Biden administration on record actually fighting the closing of the border mm-hmm. and trying to solve the problem. Let these states, let Texas and Arizona these bo- and New Mexico, these border states, let them start passing laws. Let the governor start signing these into law, strengthening the border, and let the Biden administration, the Department of Justice, sue them and fight to keep sure, the borders but, open. If we're and going- you, know how those will, you know how those wills turn, though, man. I mean, you're talking years. Yeah, I yeah. mean, how many more millions, how many more millions of immigrants are going to cross until that, that is resolved, if it ever is? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, the... I don't know of any good answer, man. I just, I just, I called in the WWL yesterday because Scoot was on this same kind of subject about, you know, people that aren't, uh, who is directly affected by this. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think we all are, whether yeah. they're being bused to any city. I mean, we're all directly affected by it because the taxpayers footing the bill for all this. Somebody's paying for it. Nothing's for free, man. Yeah. So it, thanks, thanks, Joe. Uh, thank you very much, John, for calling. I always appreciate it. Two three two fifteen forty two. Anybody else wants to call in? Yeah. There's no easy issue here. There's, there's no issue here that really helps. Um, and I, I just, in, in my opinion, the, uh, the, the busing of undocumented people to other parts of the United States, especially major urban areas where they can get lost, there's a national security threat there, among other things. But to me... It borders on the cruel and inhumane because you're sending them even further away from home and letting them get lost in America's urban system. And it really doesn't solve an issue. Now, I promised another rant that may also offend some people, and I'm sorry if that's the case here, but I need to talk about grifting and the past president is involved. There's a piece at the Wall Street Journal by uh, Kim Strassel, who's a phenomenal writer at the Wall Street Journal. And she points out that the Republicans' money problem is not the fact that donations aren't coming in, but that the people who have been financing, who have promised to finance these elections for the Republicans to take back the House and the Senate, they're absent. Here's what she writes. The problem is money, or rather Mr. Blake Masters' lack of it, talking about Arizona and how close it is. Only six weeks ago, the nominee emerged from a brutal, expensive five-way primary, spending more, even more heavily to ensure a master's victory was billionaire donor Peter Thiel, who backed his former employee to the tune of $12 million. Mr. Thiel's uh, support influenced Donald Trump to endorse Masters and to hold a rally for him in the run-up to the primary. The New York Times in February described Mr. Thiel as a new would-be kingmaker of the GOP. Only where is the would-be kingmaker now. Sitting in his counting house, the doors firmly locked, Mr. Thiel has abandoned the Arizona's race, as well as the Ohio Senate candidate he spent $15 million on to nominate J.D. Vance. Mr. Trump, meanwhile, is using this cycle to hoover up grassroots donations that might otherwise go to competitive midterm candidates, and so far, refuses to commit any of the estimated $99 million in a leadership pact to his endorsees. The Lucys have pulled the football, leaving the GOP's Arizona project to fall on its back. Arizona should not have a Democratic Senate seat right now. They should not. And you can talk about the 2020 election all you want, but the fact of the matter is, this is a very tight election. An incumbent who really should not be there versus a Republican who should have all the backing in the world, but the people who have the money aren't handing it over. Mitch McConnell's group, the Senate Leadership Fund, is taking a lot of flag because they have backed out of an $8 million ad buy in the state. But who can blame them when they've already spent close to the tune of $30 million in Ohio backing another Peter Thiel candidate? 
there's not enough money to go around. And when the NRSC and when Peter Thiel and when Donald Trump don't have the money or aren't putting forward the money to help these candidates win, the GOP is getting screwed out of seats it should have. And again, if you want to get rid of Mitch McConnell, stop making people be beholden to him. Because when the NRSC runs out of money because of stupid uh strategy, when Peter Thiel, who would be backing these guys in primaries, backs out, when Donald Trump is sitting on $99 million, more focused on his personal legal battles than the party he's supposed to be leading, the party suffers. And you have to start asking the questions, who is going to be in charge here? Who's actually going to lead the party? And right now you're leaving it in the hands of the establishment. They're the ones picking up the pieces here. So if you don't like the GOP establishment, you need to tell the people who aren't part of the establishment to get off their butts and start putting their money where their mouth is. All right. I think that's it for the ranting. 232-1542 if you want to call in and rant back. Otherwise, we are going to talk about football in the next half of the show because I want to end on a happy note. Let's talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. All right, so I have a question for y'all. I put this question up at kpel965.com today uh, because this, this came in and I thought it was hilarious and fascinating. What is the most overrated college football team in America? Feel free to call in with your thoughts, 232-1542, or uh, send us a message through the KPL app chat. The most overrated college football team in America is not Alabama. According to an analysis put out by uh, Bet Online, a, a, a website that routinely breaks down social media trends and things like that and turns them into infographics, they had one that they've put out this week. So after the first two weeks of the NCAA college football season, they have a breakdown after studying social media uh, who the most overrated football team is according to each state. So what they did is they looked at uh, social media posts, tweets, by uh, and, and saw where they were geotagged, where those tweets emanated from, and they've put together a map that shows who the most, co- who which, which state believes uh, is the most overrated college football team. And leading the way is Utah which is understandable. They started out the season ranked number seven, lost in a nail-biter to the Florida Gators, and uh, then had a 73-7 win over Southern Utah. I haven't really done anything impressive, so they've dropped down to 14 now. Uh, but 14 states believe that Utah is the most overrated team. 14 states also believe that Notre Dame is the most overrated team. They were ranked very highly and have had two very embarrassing losses. I mean, I can't say that the Ohio State loss is a very embarrassing loss. I mean, it is Ohio State. Uh, They should have played better in that game. They definitely shouldn't have lost to Marshall. Kudos to Marshall for the win. Uh, And then Alabama, 13 states, including uh, Texas, Georgia, South Carolina, and Virginia, among others. Louisiana, by the way, believes that Florida is the most overrated team in the NCAA. But anyway, uh, if you want to call in 232-1542, in fact, I think some calls are starting to come in. Let's go ahead and just hop to that one. Mark, let's, yeah, let's, let's get on the phone. Hey, welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Oh, turn your radio down. Turn your radio down, Norman. Uh, this is Norman. Hey, Norman, how are you? Yes, well, I'm doing good. Listen, I was, I was leaving work. I was firing up. I uh, heard the topic, and I heard other things. But I'll, you got me already. <laughs> I think the number one overrated 
school in America is the Ohio State. Yeah? I'm, you Absolutely. Know. You, you know, right there, they're right up there in Oklahoma in the last century. You just love to hate them. Yeah. Yeah. Now, but... here's my situation. At one time, my wife got a little business. We went to classes at uh, Penn State. Mm-hmm. So now we're big Penn State fans. So now you know we hate Ohio State. <laughs> That's very true. I can understand that. No, I I can okay. understand the Ohio the Ohio State uh, uh, dislike it, or distrust. Not Ohio, it's the Ohio State. <laughs> the Ohio State. Yes. yes. That's yeah. why you hate them. Yeah, that's very true. The Ohio State Buckeyes. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna remember to say the in front of it from here on out. Anytime I mention them on the air. Yeah, my religion requires me not to hate anybody, but it's hard with with the Ohio State. I'm not sure football counts. Okay, well, good. I'm, I I, I will, will offer you me, before we hang up. Let me tell you a story. In yeah. high school, I went to school in Brobridge at the Catholic school. Then the closest Catholic school was Turling. We I hated those guys. I hated them. I hated them. But then the next thing you know, I went in a paratrooper unit. And there were some guys from there in the same unit. They turned out to be pretty nice guys after a couple of jumps. Yeah. So I'm just let I'm just letting go. Yeah, that's very true. You know what? It's always the institution and not necessarily all the people that go there. Sometimes people can't help yeah. but go there. Well, you got to you got to do what you got to do. You know exactly. Norman, thank you very much for the call. Appreciate it. You betcha. Okay, bye. All right, two three two fifteen forty two. That that's the question of this this half of the show. Who is the most overrated college football team in America right now? So, again, uh, 14 states believe Utah is the most overrated. Uh, 14 states believe Notre Dame is the most overrated. 13 states believe Alabama is the most overrated. Then you have, let's see, what were the following ones? Uh, Then you have Oregon and Texas each have four states that apparently hate them. Uh, and then Florida's got three states, and they're all Florida's the people who hate Florida. Florida are all clustered up right next to each other. It's Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas. All three, uh, based on geotag tweets, all three think that uh, that Florida is the most overrated uh, college football team in America. But I'd I'd love to know your thoughts. Two three two fifteen forty two. I think it's going to be a fascinating weekend of of football. Uh, the the uh, the get the the top twenty five teams their their matchups for the week. Uh, let me see. Let's see. We've got uh, Georgia versus South Carolina. That should be pretty fun. You've got Alabama versus uh, UL Monroe. Oh boy, sorry UL Monroe. Uh, oh, the Ohio State. There you go, Norman versus Toledo. Uh, not going to expect much from that one. Michigan versus UConn. Uh, Clemson versus Louisiana Tech. Uh, sorry, Louisiana Tech on that one. Oklahoma versus Nebraska. That should be interesting because Nebraska just fired their coach. So we'll see what happens with Nebraska the rest of the season. We're just going to assume that this is a step below a rebuilding season for Nebraska. Uh, you've got USC versus Fresno. Uh, Oklahoma, uh, number eight, Oklahoma State versus Arkansas Pine Bluff. Nah. Let's see, anything else? Uh, BYU at Oregon should be a fun one. Miami versus Texas A&M should be a fun one. Uh, NC State versus Texas Tech, I was, I'm going to love to watch that one as well. Uh, Norman mentioned Penn State. They're at Auburn. That would be interesting. Ole Miss and Georgia Tech, Wake Forest versus Liberty, uh, and Florida versus South Florida. So there's your top, uh, 20, there's your top 25, the, the best matchups from there. Uh, you also have... Uh, you have LSU, 
uh, taking on Mississippi State. LSU struggling at the beginning of the season. Obviously, dominant performance against Southern, but that was kind of expected. Uh, LSU, very slow start to the season. We'll see if they're recovering, if some coaching changes, if, if some personnel changes are making the difference on the field. Uh, and then you've got the Cajuns, their matchup against Rice, with the Cajuns going for 16 straight now. This, the, the win streak stays alive. I'm very, very interested to see that. Uh, but the, the college football games uh, this weekend, uh, it's one of those fun times where you can sit in front of the TV and watch it the whole time. And I'm also very interested in Sunday's uh, Sunday's matchup between the Saints and the Bucks. Here's the here's the issue here. The the Saints have released their injury report. Uh, Alvin Kamara questionable. Traquan Smith questionable. Dwayne Washington questionable. Jameis Winston questionable. Mark Ingram questionable. Alante Taylor questionable. That's a massive massive potential bit of missing talent right there. Uh, so the Saints have a lot to make up there. Now, on the uh, injured list for the Bucks, uh, wide receiver Mike Evans, running back Leonard Fournette, um, Rashad Perriman, uh, Tristan Wirfs, Russell Gage, Julio Jones, all of those are questionable. Uh, and then you have uh, some other players that are either out or doubtful on both sides. So it's going to be... Uh, a very tight matchup. We're going to see what the Saints are going to be able to do uh, with with Camara, uh, Smith, Washington, Winston, Ingram, and Taylor all being questionable. Paulson uh, Adebo is out. So it's, oh, man, uh, that's going to be tough for the Saints. No, I, I hope Shannon hasn't seen this yet. I want him to come into offsides in a good mood. Um all right, let's hop back to the phone lines real quick before we take a break. Norman's calling back. I think he's got a quick addition to make. What's up, Norman? Uh, oh, real quick, listen, stay what, bud. Yeah. When I went to jump school at Fort Benning, Georgia, I wasn't the smartest private on post. But I know if you left the company, you could be put on detail. Uh-huh. We went over to Auburn. So I tell people, yes, I went to Auburn. Oh, you graduate? <laughs> no, I just, I, just, I just got out of the company area. That's all I got. Bye. All right, thank you, Norman. Uh, actually, so somebody that I went to, to college with who's currently in the U.S. military – uh, came in was a big Auburn fan, and uh, for out of deference to him because he does serve our country, I don't dislike Auburn as much as some of my friends do. So I, I have a, a little bit of respect for Auburn. I'm also I've I've grown up because my dad was a big Notre Dame fan. I'm I I like watching Notre Dame, but man, uh, I don't know if it's Coach Marcus Freeman. I don't know if it's just some player issues at Notre Dame, but they are struggling, and it's really kind of tough to watch the Fighting Irish play. All right, let's go ahead and take a break. We'll come back uh, again. If you want to call in, tell me who you think the most overrated college football team in America is. Uh, We'll also have some other topics of the day to touch on right here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. All right, I don't know if I don't know how many of y'all have watched the show Peaky Blinders on Netflix. It's one of my favorite shows that I've gotten to sit down and binge watch and and made it through the whole series. Apparently, they're they're going to do a movie to kind of wrap up everything because. The last season, the official last season, did kind of end on a cliffhanger. Uh, so they are allegedly working on a movie that kind of brings everything together. But that would be very interesting to see. I love, uh, so if you recognize that song that is Red Right Hand, uh, which was the theme for uh, for Peaky Blinders there on Netflix. I love that show. Anyway, going back to uh, to our regularly scheduled program, 
uh, I'm very interested in this weekend's college football. Uh, I had my rants earlier. I don't want to go back to those. So a couple other uh, headlines of the day just briefly to go through. Uh, so yesterday, I think it was yesterday, Judge Eileen Cannon did uh, did approve of Raymond Deary, Judge Raymond Deary, to be the special master in the case uh, of of the DOJ versus Trump, the Mar-a-Lago raid and everything like that. And the left just had a meltdown over it. Uh, they, they are not happy about the decision. They are r- routinely asking for the impeachment of Cannon. They think she's overstepping. It's just a big old mess because nobody really believes that Trump has any sort of standing to want transparency from the DOJ. Um, so Cannon denied the DOJ's request for a stay uh, in her ruling and a, and a stay in appointing a special master to the case. Uh, she then uh, she then wrote this in her... Let me pull this up. Get this, get this quote in there. Um, in her decision, she wrote something that a lot of folks on the right are just absolutely cheering. Lastly, the court agrees with the government that the public is best served by even-handed adherence to established principles of civil and criminal procedure, regardless of the personal identity of the parties involved. It is also true, of course, that even-handed justice does not demand unquestioning trust in the determinations of the Department of Justice, which, frankly, she's not wrong. Uh, Judge Cannon is not wrong there. There is a, a need for even-handedness, uh, and there is a need for transparency from the government, and so it will be interesting to see that. Naturally, uh, the DOJ is going to appeal that decision, uh, which is to be expected. We will see where that where that appeal goes. Ultimately, what this is going to do, I mean, we've got, what, six weeks? Yeah, about six weeks until the election. Uh, we are looking at, we're looking at a court case that may extend beyond the midterms, and that may not actually provide the headlines that Democrats really want. Uh, meanwhile, we also have, uh, let's see, uh, another batch of subpoenas in the Justice Department's January 6th probe. So kind of flooding the zone here with as much as they can to try to get everything in. I'm not saying it's political. I I know a lot of y'all listening believe that. Uh, I'm not making that argument. I'm just saying that right now the Justice Department is kind of working overtime. They are fighting a battle on multiple fronts here, and all those battles seem to be related to Donald Trump. The political question is going to be, does this affect the midterms? And honestly, I still don't think so. I still don't believe that this affects the midterms. Everybody that hates Trump was already going out to vote. Everybody that loves Trump was already going out to vote. And none of these legal machinations really have, it will really do anything to convince any other voters. What we have are several economic issues that will affect the voters. And I think that's what everybody who's not necessarily in the middle, but everybody who doesn't really give a damn about Trump, to be honest, that's what they're focused on. Core CPI is up. Inflation is up. It's expected to go up even more. Uh, Economists, the stock market, everybody is looking at the signs. They're not thrilled with it. Mortgage rates up over 6% for the first time since 2008. Uh, 
we have an energy crisis and we're looking like the energy crisis could actually get worse. Now that gas prices have sort of leveled out a bit, they're still a lot higher than they were. The, the, the drop, the falling uh, gas price, uh, that's stopping. The falling gas prices, their stop is slowing down. It's not dropping nearly as fast as it was. And we still have the issue of, uh, of the grocery stores. I mean, that's inflation's affecting that, but the supply chain, all of that, all of this is really affecting where we are economically and the, uh, the, the personal economy here, the personal finance here, the kitchen table issues. I've maintained from the start that that's going to be the driving motivator in this election. And when the party that's been in charge has been allowing all of this to go on and nothing they have done has really helped. And in fact, on the same day as an absolutely catastrophic inflation report, the White House is cheering its Inflation Reduction Act, which does nothing for it. It's not a good look for those voters that are concerned about those kitchen table issues. We shall see. I don't think it's going to be good for the Democrats. Nancy Pelosi, several Democrats are out there publicly saying, yeah, we're doing great. We might even win some seats. I don't think that's the case. Chuck Schumer, I mentioned yesterday, Chuck Schumer, very dour on this. He gives the Democrats 60% chance to hold the Senate. I think it's less than that. I think we're looking at a 55-45 right now. And it depends largely on what happens in Arizona, Georgia, and Nevada, and Pennsylvania. Four, four seats. Four seats that could alter the shape of the U.S. Senate. The GOP can lose Pennsylvania. If they gain just one of those three other seats, it's still a 50-50 tie. If they gain two, they control the Senate. And the Biden administration is officially over because nothing else will get done. If they win those three seats, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia, there's your wave, possibly even beyond a wave. The Democrats are out there sure, sure that they are going to come away with this better than everybody thought. But it's falling. That, that faith is falling. You have Democratic staffers that are leaving office going into the private sector. They know what's coming. You have Democrats that are talking behind the scenes. You have Democratic strategists in the background saying, yeah, the polls are giving like a five-point advantage to Democrats that isn't there. There's a lot of things going on behind the scenes that you and I may not see publicly, but those whispers sure are very loud when you pay attention to them. All right, y'all have a great weekend. I'll be back on Monday Stay tuned. Offsides is next. Talk to you guys again real soon here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.